Postscript Media, podcast for a changing planet. Do you guys do this now? If I call people, I'm like, I'm so sorry I'm calling you out of the blue. Oh, I've gone <laughs> the other way. I'm a big caller now. I'm like oh, really? the person who will aggressively FaceTime you. Yes, yes. Good. I'm so You'll over. FaceTime. Good for you. Yes, right. I fa- oh I, yes I'll Rachel. FaceTime you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm giving you a heads up now. <laughs> that stresses me out so much. <laughs> sorry. This is Hot Buttons, a show about the future of fashion and culture on a changing planet. I'm Christina Binkley. I'm a contributing writer at Vogue Business in the Wall Street Journal. This week, we're looking at Gen Z, people born between 1997 and 2010 or thereabouts, and whether sustainability marketing can break through to help a whole generation kick its fast fashion addiction. And we'll take a look and a listen to ThreadUp's latest move to draw in young shoppers, a hotline for people looking to kick the fast fashion habit and embrace resale instead. And of course, we'll finish up with things big and little that are pressing our buttons. Rachel Kibbe of Circular Services Group is joining us from Los Angeles today, Eagle Rock in particular. Rachel, you're in my hood. How's it going? Oh, it's great. I love LA. I love visiting. Having a great time. (laughs) And the CEO of Thrilling, Shilla Kim Parker, is coming to us, as always, from South Salem, New York. Hey, Shilla. Hey, I'm so jealous. I want to be on the West Coast. Come on out. Kind of over. (laughs) I'm going to get you both to come here. (laughs) I will. (laughs) We're going to try something new this week. We're calling it Bummers and Beacons of Hope, hoping to give you some things to think about and some things to feel really good about. Uh, our bummer this week, guys, did you notice the news about this 70 day heat wave oh my in China? God. It's I mean, crazy. Have, 70, 70 yeah. days. Biggest oh heat God. wave in 60 years. Temperatures as high as 113 degrees. Yeah. I can't even conceive of living like that. It's a scale And you live day. in LA. And I live in LA. Yeah, but I don't go to Palm Springs in the summer <laughs> or Death Valley. I took a walk here the other day. My sister, who's pregnant, took me on this walk and I couldn't keep up with her because of the heat. I'm just not not used to it. My, You're not used my to poor it. northeastern blood. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're talking about discomfort, but this is going to impact yeah. all kinds of manufacturing in China, including the fashion industry. Scott, our producer, found this just before we came on today. There's a notice that polyester and textile factories in Zhejiang province began receiving power rationing notices this week. Um, that's according to the South, South China Morning Post. Ouch. There goes the supply chain again. Well, with polyester, maybe not such a bad thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this wasn't a bummer. It was a oh, beacon of no. hope. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bummer. I mean, it's, it's all scale, a bummer. It's the scale of this heat wave that's just so yeah. astounding. I think over yeah. 260 locations in China have had their highest heat records broken. And then obviously, you know, scientists are showing that actually all these all these heat waves around the world are connected. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and linked to climate change. So it does feel like you guys have seen all the pictures of the Loire River. And yep, these, um, yeah, and these, crazy, and these not Nazi warships popping up in the Danube River. Have you seen yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, crazy. Speaking of rivers, the Gansey River is that how you pronounce it? It's the longest river in the world in China. It's receded sixteen to twenty feet to the ro- lowest lowest on record. Wow! So it feels yeah. like we're, we're in the apocalypse already. What's what's our beacon of hope? <laughs> oh my God, you guys! This is like. 
I know this is a small thing, but that's what beacons are, right? Um, Vogue Business reported this week that Mara Hoffman, I don't know if you guys know her, she's an American designer, shows in New York. She's always, you know, she's kept production close and she's always been sort of naturally sustainable, which is easier when you're a relatively relatively small brand. But she is developing a new swimsuit that is from a nylon and polyester-free material. Wow. It's expected to launch in November. You know, I always remember, Rachel, that you My spandex. Yes, your yes. spandex, like that's your, that's, that's like the thing that you feel guilty about. So Mara so was maybe? up to it already. Yeah. Rachel, how, like, have you ever seen other swim materials that don't have polyester or nylon? No, I, I heard about this coming. Like I, I know this type of non-polyester, non-petroleum based spandex elastane has been in development. I've heard yeah. rumblings. I haven't heard okay. it actually used in a product yet. I haven't seen it. I mean, my biggest question is going to be for like a swimsuit durability, because with all these things, as we always say, it has to be equivalent enough that people will buy it. But Mara Hoffman um, really specializes in swimsuits. I mean, she has a a full line of clothing, but I know that her swimsuits are beloved, so I'm sure she's taking it really seriously. She understands that that market and the the specifics that are required. I mean, honestly, textile development is such a, a verdant area for fixing these problems. New textiles... Um, that aren't petroleum-based. Yeah. Anyway. It's also a verdant area for uh, people to raise other concerns, too, as we're trying to uh, chase the sort of beast of data. But I I think this is promising, and this is definitely the direction we need to head. And and Mara, in general, has always been authentically committed to the goal of sustainability. She's been working with our company, Thrilling, for a while on sourcing vintage um, to offer to her her customers. So she's trying um, lots of different levers in in terms of becoming a more sustainable company. Do you mean you can go on on to marahoffman.com and find thrilling Mara Hoffman styles? She actually, she has um, some of our vintage items in her store in New York. Oh, um, oh and so wow. yeah, so so we've had a partnership with the folks over there for a while. Um, they are definitely a beacon of hope in the fashion industry because yeah. I think they're doing all the right things in being responsible stewards for the planet. That's true. So we also want to tell you about our new call-in line. This has been something that we've wanted to do for a while. It is finally here. We want to hear from you what you'd like us to talk about, subjects you think we're missing, sustainable fashion shopping advice, rants, praise, whatever you'd like to share. We'd love to hear it all. Leave us a voicemail at 508-622-5361, and maybe we'll feature it on an upcoming episode of the show. Again, it's 508-622-5361. Call us. That wasn't your cell phone number, Christina, was it? Like I suggested. (laughs) Such a nightmare. We have to talk about Gen Z's fast fashion addiction. We started talking about this last week when we heard about a hotline meant to help young people kick their fast fashion addiction just as they're shopping for the fall season. It struck us all differently, either for the way its message and marketing really met this moment or how well it revealed the extent of Gen Z's fast fashion addiction. Let's start with the fast fashion addiction. The facts are inescapable today. Recent research by analysis firm Mintel has found that Gen Z shoppers buy significantly more clothing than any other generation today, and the majority of those purchases are from fast fashion brands. They notice what we're all observing. Clothing is cheaper, social media adds persistent pressure to buy more, and more often— 
And online shopping has led to more returns and furthers the disposable culture around fast fashion. I have to tell you guys this. Um, I have two Gen Z people. Um, neither I of them was are thinking you have yes. a perfect focus group. Yes. I do. I have my own focus group. And guess what? What? I'm texting with my daughter, age 20. She's in New Orleans. I had just left her last week. I went down with her to get her moved into her a new house, and we were sort of putting away a bunch of her clothes. There were so many pieces that I had never seen before. Really? Mm. She snuck them in? Well, apparently she has a fast fashion addiction. Oh, no. (laughs) You're dealing with an addict in your home? It starts in the house. It does. The call is coming from inside the house. Today, I texted her and I said, oh, we're going to talk about Gen Z's fast fashion addiction today. Does she respond with any level of interest about that? No. Mm. She responds with a a screenshot Uh of an Instagram influencer with a top that she wants. Oh, cute. (laughs) Okay, she's got your number. You've got to get unaddicted. So you've seen firsthand that it truly is an addiction, even though I believe you've said that she aligns with the values of sustainability and you know, mitigating the climate crisis, et cetera. She does. And she's totally, I mean, on the opposite end of the thing, she and my son even more so are totally into like shopping at Goodwill. They right. love a good Goodwill, right? right? See, right. That's, so the, they, that's the rub. They do both. Yeah, they, they do, do both. both. Exactly. Yep. That's that. Okay. You're living the paradox. I guess. I didn't realize it, to be honest with you, until last week. Well, I, honestly, I was sort of people hide addiction, the addiction thing. And now I'm like, oh, God, it's right in my household. And I did not recognize it. I do think the the kind of keeping up with appearances on social media is such a huge factor here. I think Gen Z is going to be the most photographed generation in history until yeah. until the next one comes up. Man, Snapchat put out a report on their users last year, and they their platform reaches 90% of 13 to 24 yeah. year olds in the U.S., and their users, they say, are 150% more likely to communi- communicate with pictures over words. <laughs> and even crazier, Google reported that its Android devices take 93 million selfies per day. And that 18 to 24-year-olds reported that every third photo they take is a selfie. So I feel like when you're putting out that much material about yourself, it's natural that you're going to feel the pressure to change up what you're wearing. There's a data point that nearly 40% of college students scroll fast yeah. fashion sites and apps about once a day, um, even just to learn what's in fashion. Mm. And it's sort of like if you're using these sites to see what's in style, it's right. very it's very hard to stay away. And then the other part of it is I feel like because the cost is so low, the cognitive load to, to make that purchase when it's super cheap, easy to return, free shipping— it's right. just, it's, it makes it a very easy decision. You know, I remember I, I had, it was about 2007, I was in my late 20s, and I, I remember thinking, I have a fast fashion addiction. That was kind oh, of really? right as wow. I, yeah, it was right before I started Parsons, and none of this was, this none of this was on my mind. I don't even think I really knew, like, the weight of the environmental impact of fast fashion, but I had started to shop at Zara when I lived in Spain, and at that point, that was early 2000s, that point, the Clothing was really well constructed, actually, but it was was cheap, so I got addicted. And then I remember I was living in Brooklyn at the time, and I'd come home with these bags of Forever 21, and and I I remember pulling things out of the bags, and they were already falling apart, and I didn't need this stuff, and I just thought, why did I just do this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like I was in a blackout. (laughs) All the signs of addiction. Yes. (laughs) Regret and remorse. Yes. 
Um, there's this neurologist, um, Dr. Frances Jensen. She wrote this book on the teenage brain, and she talks about how, you know, that teenage years and into your 20s, your brain is actually more apt to get addicted to things, and you're more prone to addiction. You have a lower ability to control impulses, um, lower ability to weigh different factors and decision-making. All those things come later in life. So I do feel like we're joking about the addiction piece, but I actually feel like that there's part of that is real. 100%. A hundred percent. I knew a world when there was no fast fashion or very little, and it was different. There was no hyper fast fashion. Right. And but so Gen Z doesn't. They don't. Did you guys look at ThreadUp's annual resale report? They have some numbers that sort of nail this. Yeah. One in three Gen Z say they feel addicted to fast fashion. Mm. One in three. Nearly half of college students say it's hard to resist the temptation that fast fashion offers. 72% of college students say they have shopped from fast fashion in the past year. One in two college students watch fast fashion hauls. They can't even avoid it. It's fed to them. Yeah. If those numbers were applied to drug use, it would be a national crisis. But then it's interesting because the similar numbers probably, I assume those same exact numbers would say, um, I believe in sustainability. I want to um, help mitigate my impact on the planet. Um, And yet it's still too hard to resist. I don't know how you guys think about this because... How much of this is on the teenager and on the 20-year-olds? How much is it their fault? And how much of it should we be putting the responsibility on the corporations or on policy? Mm. If we're talking about it like addiction, in other realms, when we deal with addiction, we don't say that it's it's on the individual. We actually do. I think we do. Isn't that the point of 12-step programs? Or- but we mitigate access to those substances, either by age or they're illegal completely. Right. Yeah. So I just wonder, you know, because sometimes when we talk about folks being addicted um, to fast fashion, um, folks who shop fast fashion feel like we're putting the blame on them. Right. Um, And I wonder how much of it we should, you know, when we should be bringing in the corporations or policy measures into the conversation, um, and and how much how much of it is truly the individual's responsibility. God, it has to be both, right? I mean, we want environmental regulations, and we clearly need more regulation over industry. Well, let's go back. So Priya Ferguson, who's one of the stars of Stranger Things, partnered with ThreadUp to create a fast fashion confessional hotline, they're calling it, in which she shares her own confession. She gives you some tips on how to kick your own habit, and of course, how ThreadUp is there to help you buy secondhand clothes from their platform. We probably agree here that this hotline that they've started is a marketing ploy, and they're trying to drive traffic to to their website and to sell more of their clothes, which, you know, are are resales, so that in our book is a good thing. Let's listen. Priya here. You've reached the fast fashion confessional hotline, which means you want to break it off with fast fashion. No sweat. ThreadUp and I are going to get you through this because you and the planet deserve better. Now, choose what happens next. If you're on the verge of a splurge, girl, no. Press 1 and I'll talk you out of giving fast fashion your hard-earned cash. Press 2 to hear my take on why thrift is a good look and fast fashion isn't. We've all got a bad fast fashion story. Press 3 to hear mine and leave a voicemail to share yours too. Plus, there'll be a very special bonus treat. So what do you guys think? Uh, it's clever. It's, I love it. It's clever and fun. Good. It hits on a serious problem, which is that many people just can't stop. And, <laughs> and Priya is here to tell you that she she she's felt the same way, but she's learned the error of her ways. This is better than an Instagram ad. Totally. I think it's hilarious. It's fun. It's funny. 
Um, and I, I like that ThreadUp is having fun with it, and they're they're starting to flex their voice and their platform, and they're getting bolder with their marketing campaigns. Earlier this summer, they hosted a boycott of Shein. Shein had a pop-up in L.A., and ThreadUp, oh, wow. uh, you know, marketed basically a, bo- a boycott to all their customers yeah. and said, don't go shop Shein. Instead, here's a coupon to shop our site. They're using this whole text messaging, like, direct access to customers in a way that's not Discord. It's almost old school in a way, like a voicemail yeah. or a text message saying, don't go to Shein's pop-up shop, skip it, you know, fast fashion is destroying the planet. I think it's just really, it's way the way people actually are communicating day to day. You know, here's a great example. I think we've all become kind of knee-jerk hating marketing. Sometimes marketing is really good. I mean, it's there's fun. good to come out of this. Yeah. Either way. And I mean, look, we're talking about this. I think the CEO used the word feisty on LinkedIn the other day to talking about some of their recent marketing issues. And I and I, I I like that word. I like that they're getting feisty. Now, do I believe that a lot of people will call this line and Gen Z will call this line and get a lot of engagement? I'm not sure. First of all, it's a, it's a texting generation. I think this would have been um, probably really effective for Gen X, but <laughs> everyone under <laughs> younger than that, the idea of actually having a phone call with somebody makes their skin crawl. Unless it's pre-scheduled <laughs> and advanced. You're right. <laughs> It'll be really interesting to see if this actually moves dollars for them. Yeah. Um, it's it's getting a lot of noise, and I think it's really effective for the noise, but I don't know if it'll actually move um, top-line numbers. I think it's—I I, I don't think they expect it to, in a way. I think it's a long-term marketing strategy. Like, they're expected to sell so much fast fashion that the country sells them, and they're probably not making enough money on it to take it in and turn it around. And it hurts them just as much as it's hurting the planet and Imagine, other markets. Yeah. And, and they're saying, like, our business model is not based on reselling fast fashion. And and that's an important sort of statement to make. And I think they're doing it without um, being overtly serious about it. Yeah, I think you can have a lot of fun with this concept. But I feel like in general for marketing, it's always great to have kind of the antihero, but you also obviously have to make a case. Um, truly, you have to make a case for yourself and for your brand in order to really kind of get people to, to open their wallets. What do you mean by that? I think it's not enough to be, don't buy this other thing. It's why should I buy my thing. Why should you buy right. my thing? Uh-huh. Right. Um, and really making the case for that. And I, I don't know if you guys have felt like there have been any sustainable fashion campaigns that you felt like were truly compelling um, and memorable and kind of moved you in, in that way. Because honestly, I, I had I had trouble thinking of one. I can think of a few. I, I maybe because it was one that of the moved first. You? Yeah, a little bit. I think it was one of the first. Um, it was many years ago. It was Patagonia had a campaign that said, "Don't buy this jacket." And yeah, I think that I has that. been sort of the yeah. It's been a, a bit of a guiding light. Nobody's done it quite as well because um, it's just so simple. And um, it was a little bit before you know large companies were leveraging sustainability to sell product. So it was very surprising. I rent the runway in. January had a, a fast fashion free campaign I, in New York. All over the streets, there were um, where there were billboards and electronic message like message boards that said "fast fashion is garbage," and that was pretty much it. And then rent the runway. I thought that was clever. And then you know they had anti haul videos from like eco stars, like eco social media stars, um, along with this campaign to sort of promote the campaign. And I thought it was less about their product and more about what they're not. And to your point, you have to offer a compelling reason. Um, You can't just say, 
buy me, I'm not that. But right. I think that all of these companies, it, they're in a nascent industry, and they they do sort of have to hit us over the head with, I am not that. Right. You know what? You just made me think of Askoff Finlayson. Do you know them? No. Mm-mm. That brand? It was started by Eric Dayton, whose family is Dayton's of Dayton's department store that became Target. Mm. And it's like mom is a Rockefeller. I mean, you know, he's kind of a blue blood, but he went home to Minneapolis and started a bar. I think it was called Marvel Bar or something. It, it, I don't think it exists anymore. And and, and a store next door that he wanted to sell cool products. And it, over several years, morphed into not wanting to sell a bunch of products um, because he thought that wasn't sustainable. And they they changed Askov Finlayson into a parka brand. And the whole idea was that the parkas would last forever, that you would never buy another parka as long as you lived. They're, they're made for very cold weather. He has Love another that. campaign about keep the North cold. Um, That's great. And, and I think it's probably about as sustainable a plan as I've ever seen, largely mm-hmm. because they're not, you know, they're not trying to make huge numbers of different products in a whole fashion line. They, they do have some other apparel, but it's all about um, lasting and warmth. Have we talked about this before? I know we've talked about it off like N- Nilly Lowton, who you've interviewed oh, before. Yeah. I really like her approach and it's just like the classics, the things you need. I make them really yeah. well. I make them domestically. And they're so beautiful. It kind of speaks for itself and she doesn't have to talk about how sustainable she is, but she talks about building a simple wardrobe that you can wear all the time and you'll have for years. And I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Her supply end is really interesting too because she's able to do that and manufacture herself and you know in the US because rather than sourcing a million different fabrics from all sorts of different places she buys sort of essentially fabric blanks there's probably a better term for that okay but large quantities of fabric that has not yet been dyed and she brings it into her warehouses and she has sort of standard styles that she yeah keeps in forever you can keep buying them if you like them and um she'll do we'll do it in orange this time or we'll do it in you know whatever and then she can do a quick dye batch and brilliant. cut and sew it I love isn't that, that smart that's brilliant the more I learn about her, the more I just am really a big fan. Then you have the example of Tesla, um, who didn't do any marketing or advertising, and it's just purely from the design of the product and word of mouth, right. basically. Yeah. If I were one of the big players, you know, if I were ThreadUp or Poshmark or eBay, um, I would think about going bigger and even maybe more old school. Because if you think about the the marketing campaigns that are kind of seared into your memory and mm-hmm. that like spanned generations and defined a category, you think about A Diamond is Forever with De Beers yeah. or you think about Just Do It with Nike. I think what you're trying to do is actually define the category of clothing. And you can yes. do that when yeah. you're one of those huge players. That's and what's true. what's a tagline and a concept that can actually stretch generations and kind of be seared into into your memory? Um, and I, I think I would go bigger and bolder if I were. Yeah, I love one that. Of those platforms. That, that. Making yourself into sort of the Kleenex of the category. Exactly. Right. You have that opportunity, and then you can be everywhere. You could clothe all the best TV shows. You could clothe American um, girl dolls. You could have a balloon yeah. on the on the Thanksgiving parade. Like if if you do that, plus you're everywhere game over. I think I have to insert something here, you guys, because, I mean, we're, you know, we're giving a lot of creds to ThreadUp. We're liking what they're doing. Uh, They just announced that they're laying off like 15% of their corporate staff because of a sales slump. They are not alone, by the way. Macy's just reduced earnings 
was it yesterday or today? Uh, you know, uh, Shopify it, it, laid off ten percent of its workforce yeah. last month. I mean, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think I think partly what we're seeing, honestly, is you know these these are the pendulums, right? Like last right. year, everybody roared back as consumers after you know you know it was still pandemic, but less pandemic. And and bought like crazy, and all the news was insane with growth, and so now we're seeing a bit of a pullback, and Wall Street's freaking out about it. It's yeah, probably going to work itself out okay. I think they're well positioned. I think that you know uh, companies have to do what they have to do to uh, stay afloat, and we're seeing a pull- pullback. People raced online, raced online during yeah. COVID, and sales exploded, and that was never going to stay. And, and that's a good thing because people are out of the house and shopping again in stores. And to your point, they're not alone. And there's macro economic challenges that are plaguing most industries. Resale is a tough business. I mean, that's not, I, I think, <laughs> tell me you know, about res- it. yeah, Shilla, Shilla can <laughs> yeah. tell us more, but I mean, I, I think the rub is, is that resale, any nascent environmental industry, like, and this, let's not like make a, make a mistake to not say this is like an environmental service. This is an extension of waste management in a way for um, any resale provider is providing a service to our environment to keep product in circulation. And it's more costly and more challenging with, um, that is fighting, uh, against, um, uh, the age old business model of producing multiple units of new product all at once when they're dealing with single unit SKUs. ThreadUp yeah. is dealing actually with a physical product because unlike yeah. Poshmark and Depop who do peer to peer resale, which is for a certain p- type of customer, they're handling the customers that don't want to post their own product online. So they have infrastructure, they have shipping, they have uh, re-merchandising. And so to only, when everybody else is, a a lot of other companies are cutting back their workforce almost an equivalent amount, and they're doing all this behind-the-scenes sort of um, lifting uh, to to get our products back on the market. Um, I I think that that's not a bad sign. It's just a good business decision, unfortunately, impacts people. Ultimately, uh, as you all know, I think we need policy to level the playing field for businesses that are... um, are providing this environmental service. I don't think the free market alone is going to allow resale to flourish to the extent that it should and that we need for the planet. Um, I think we do need various policy and regulation measures to expedite growth um, and capabilities of these organizations because they have um, they have the capability to grow. It's just it's challenging. Preach it, sister. <laughs> I want to move us along to um, what's pushing our buttons. These are our hot buttons. I had one pressed pretty hard this week. I saw <laughs> I saw a headline in the LA Times that talked about drought water use, um, and in particular in a community just outside of Los Angeles called Hidden Hills. Uh, if you've followed Yeezy for years, you've heard about Hill and Hidden Hills. Kanye even put Hidden Hills and Calabasas and some communities around that area on a bunch of t-shirts and hoodies a couple of years ago at New York Fashion Week. It is a community that is absolutely full of celebrities. Um, the Kardashians live there. Kevin Hart lives there. And it's very, very green. They have mm-hmm. massive properties and mm-hmm. they water the hell out of them. But the good news is that they're getting slammed for that. The county is measuring the water that each of these households is using, and they published <laughs> how many hundreds of thousands of gallons over the, the the sort of allowed limit each of them have done. So if you want to know how much water Kevin Hart uses in his lawn, you can go look it up. And um, and they've put they're putting water saving devices. Uh, it's sort of like when you get the boot on your car. 
Party's over. Party's, Party's over, over, Mr. Hart. The water and, party. And the, and the Kardashian, several two Kardashian households there, Kim Kardashian and one, one of her sisters both have homes there. Anyway, these water device, water saving devices sort of scrunch down how much water can come out of their pipes at one time so they can't wow. have these big irrigations. Rachel, so. what's your hot button? Oh, well, as I've mentioned, I'm here in LA and I'm having a great time. I'm here for my sister's baby shower and my whole family came out. Yeah, and it's my brother's birthday today. Happy birthday, Phil. Yes. So it's like, it's been a whole thing. It's been lovely. Um, And my brother's dear, one of his dearest friends lives out here. He works in wardrobe, actually, in the industry, I've learned they call it here. Yes, in the industry. Yeah. (laughs) So they they escaped one day and they came back with um, a couple bags of, uh, of, of clothing from thrift stores. They went to Goodwill and his friend had outfitted, Phil never buys new clothes and he had outfitted him. He like updated his wardrobe for under $200 and all this nice stuff. And first of all, I love to see men helping men um, uh, update their wardrobes and care for themselves. So sweet. And And he looks so great. It's so sweet. It was just really touching and it's thrifting, which, you know, it's great. Most importantly, are you putting it on the gram? <laughs> Just kidding. I, it actually, I think I did. I put a picture of him on the gram. He looks great. My hot button is a is a hot button of appreciation. If you Google Town and Country Michelle Yeoh. you will yeah. see they they just did this unbelievable profile and spread of Michelle Yeoh this past week. It is literally ecstasy in fashion spread form. I cannot speak more highly about it. You know, and obviously Michelle Yeoh is a God among us mere mortals. Um, and they did her spirit so much justice in mm. this spread. I, I, it, the set design, have you guys seen it? I have seen it. Okay. I have seen it. You, I have to give a plug for myself because I have an article in the same issue of Town and Oh, Country. you do? It's about, about, it's about how everybody's naked now in lingerie dressing. I lo- it's that, completely different. Christina, but, that was exactly but, my second, that was the second thing that I was going to bring up. <laughs> well, first of all, I totally agree with you that like that spread it's her spirit the fashions that she's oh, wearing are extraordinary exquisite. and she has such drama the way drama. she presents them it's like oh, oh you have Rachel you've got to go this no it's it's complex it's really and su- surprising and sophisticated yes and it's just Agreed. exciting she's 60 she's been acting for 40 years and feels like she's just beginning in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. and, and it's so soulfully satisfying that she's getting her flowers and her due. Um, anyway, oh, that's I'm looking my, at it now. Yes. Oh, Isn't it mind Oh, this green dress. Everybody, kudos to everybody. The entire team showed up to set that day. <laughs> <laughs> they sure did. Bravo Town and Country Magazine. Michelle Yeoh has this last line on the piece. She says, Our life is a gift, and hopefully when it's time to go, I will say, I lived it to the fullest. Michelle Yeoh. Amen. Townandcountrymag.com, folks. That's all for the show. Please support us by following us on Twitter. We're at Hot Buttons Pod. Or send a link to friends or colleagues and go to Apple or Spotify and give us a rating. We're also streaming on Amazon Music now. We really appreciate your support. If you want to email us with story ideas, send a note to hotbuttons at postscriptaudio.com. Or leave us a voicemail at our new call-in line. It's at 508-622-5361. So give us a call. 
Hot Buttons is hosted by me, Christina Binkley, Shilla Kim Parker, and Rachel Kibbe. The show's produced by Postscript Media. Our senior editor is Anne Bailey. Our engineers are Greg Villefranc and Sean Marquand. Cecily Mesa Martinez is our managing producer. Stephen Lacey, Scott Clavenna, and Rachel Kibbe are our executive producers. Postscript Media makes podcasts at the intersection of climate with culture, politics, business, and tech. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm focused on climate solutions across energy, food, agriculture, transportation, logistics, and advanced materials. Thanks for joining us. We will catch up with you next week. And then, and Rachel, then Rachel, you can work out and in, in completely swaddle. In swimming it. suits. In you swimming can, suits, I will be going to CrossFit. You'll get a, a robe made out Mark of it. Mark my words. We can post that on Twitter. Um. <laughs>